Welcome to the Continued Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Fawn Carson, and I'm Senior Managing Editor at OccupationalTherapy.com. Today's podcast features our host, Dr. Dennis Cleary, discussing Using Assistive Technology to Increase Participation in Daily Life podcast with our guest, Teresa Berner. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I am so happy to be joined by Teresa Berner, who is an occupational therapist and longtime friend of mine uh, and rehabilitation clinic manager at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Teresa, thanks so much for being here. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you became interested in assistive technology, which you've been doing for a long time, uh, and, and adaptive sports? Sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this topic because it's one that sometimes people trip upon. I My journey has been, I started at Dodd inpatient rehab as occupational therapist, obviously, and I was working with individuals with a spinal cord injury. And I found that as I was trying to find ways to identify and help them work through the injury, there were things in the clinic that were really helpful and useful, but then there were things outside of the clinic that were useful. And so some of the examples are they needed mobility. And so we started working on the manual chairs, power chairs. Well, nobody wants to use a wheelchair because they were convinced they were going to recover and walk. They all wanted to go to physical therapy. So I started saying, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I started just looking at the equipment as a tool to help them do things that they wanted to live their life. And I told them that think of the equipment as allowing you to continue with your life while your body's recovering. So then that led us into, well, what what do you want to do? So the higher level injuries needed to interact and access the environment. And I love the tinkering. So I became the MacGyver of the rehab team. And it was fun. They would bring challenges down to me and we would start working with adapted equipment. And way back then, we didn't have a lot of the electronic resources we do now. Um, and, and then Was this back in the 90s? Yes, it was. It was. Um, and then as far as the adjustment, I couldn't tell them what they were going through because I was a young, new career clinician. And they stared at me like, what do you know? I'm like, well, not, not a whole lot. So I started going out to different... Um, peer supports. We'd go to a basketball practice. We'd go to quad rugby game. I started bringing them out into the community and I started noticing how adapted sports was a vehicle for kind of connecting them with other people. So that started my journey with um, adapted sports, equipment, everyday equipment, sports equipment. And and then as I've evolved um, through the years, uh, so I'll go ahead and confess, it was 1990 that I started. And I started inpatient. I was inpatient rehab for 11 years. And as I started building programs, that's when the outpatient era in healthcare started shifting that people weren't staying very long. So they asked me to go to outpatient, which I didn't want to, but I thought, huh, well, let's see. I went to outpatient. I realized there were more people beyond people with spinal cord injury that needed assistive technology. And I got involved um, with Resna, we'll talk about a little bit later. And I started trying to find a home for learning this area of practice that has really evolved over the years. So fast forward, you know, 29 some years later, 
I have an assistive technology center that I've been very lucky that OSU has allowed us to develop. And um, we serve a variety of different um, people and services. Again, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll talk about that. But to give you a big overview, as an OT, you could, you could be involved at any level. You can be involved just at your patient level, as a program level, or you can have a big center. There's really not only one way. And I, I'd like to, to offer that to the audience and understand how they can fit if they have this interest. So when you, so you, there's this assistive technology center, could you just talk a little bit about what that is and, you know, kind of who is there, how do you get referrals, those sorts of things? So my, um, and it may have started as a wheelchair clinic at one point way back in the day. Yep. Yep. It's, um, you know, my daytime job, I say, so we have this wonderful center. And if you come here, you will see this dynamic, area that has our product lines are wheelchair seating and delivery. So we have the wheelchair product line. We have a a driving program. So we do clinical assessment in the clinic and then we go out on the road. We have vehicles, we take people out and we have augmentative alternative communication. We have a speech therapist. And then our newest product line is a smart clinic where we have all the home automation, all the the new innovative stuff that I think of it as like a living lab where we can just showcase information. Um, and so we are lucky to have, I have um, I have 14 staff and again, it's very unusual and I don't want people to think that's the only way to do things because you can do it as being one, but who are we? We have occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech language pathologists. We have two rehab engineers and then we have like support personnel that help us with the scheduling and um, all the operational billing stuff. Gotcha. And that's, so that's um, my area of practice is uh, individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Some of our really complicated individuals that I was supporting, I have a baseline, maybe a little more than baseline knowledge of wheelchair positioning and seating and mobility. But what I found is um, going to one vendor sometimes was not always the best solution. Uh, to someone. And so that's, I think, when I started to bring some of the individuals um, to see you, it, it worked out for me um, in terms of the, the places that I was doing. I think there was, they were getting a better end product and, and better understanding of the various uh, different lines and products that were out there. Um, so so that's, what, that's, I think, how I started to bring folks to, to the, uh, back in the day, to the, the the beginning notion of the assistive technology. Yeah, and I think what, what so. happens is, is we become partners in care. So it's a matter, you know, is it something that you want to outsource and allow us that we do this every day? We have a workflow for the paperwork. You know the individual. So we're just seeing a snapshot of them. So uh, an advantage of coming to a clinic is we're going to have access to equipment. We have Oh my gosh, probably like 25 different power wheelchairs. We have about 15 different manual wheelchairs, hundreds of cushions. We have stuff. And then you come in, it's a neutral ground where it's not a vendor who's trying to influence and sell you something that has the best profit margin. Um, so as an OT, you can be partners with the seating clinics. And what I, what I really liked is that not only were you there for the evaluation, but we also would bring folks back for the fitting. And... Um, and so it was just nice to have two or three or maybe four sets of eyes that were really looking at at the fit, especially for folks that had, you know, really complex molded seating and, and really difficult things that um, 
I think, and, and I think the other advantage without being said is that the vendor, you know, is, you know, probably selling many, many more wheelchairs a year through your clinic than they would be through a, a typical therapist. So um, yeah, it just helps, some... helps improve the process. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad that you felt that. That's our, our goal. And what you're really describing is something called the RESNA uh, wheelchair delivery process. So RESNA is Rehab Engineering Society of North America. So they're an organization that supports um, assistive technology for many professionals. There's, if you're a therapist, you could be a member. Engineers, you're a member. Vendors can be a member. But they're a professional organization. And they write position papers and best practice in we believe that best practice for complex rehab or, you know, the wheelchairs is to have the team, the whole team together at the evaluation, that's together at the trial. And then once the equipment is vended, you come back together and you actually, actually implement it as a team so that you make sure what you recommended is what is being implemented and used. What I really like, Teresa, is when I would bring you know, clients there, um, they certainly could try the different types of wheelchairs, but also different surfaces that you have so that it's not, you know, you're, you're not just going from, you know, carpet to uh, tile, that you really have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 different types of surfaces that people can really try a chair out in a more realistic environment. Um, do, you f do you find that that's helpful or that that really helps with you in making decisions? Yeah, and... It's, it's so great to hear that what our goal is, is actually, you know, observed and, and felt, like I always call it that lived experience, because what that really is, is it's another standardized practice. Um, if anyone Googles wheelchair skills program, there's standardized assessments that you can do for wheelchair skills training, and you can do training in a scooter, in a manual chair, in a power chair, you can even do training with a caregiver. And it goes through and teaches how to navigate various surfaces, how to access different um, doorways or barriers. And there's basic navigation and then there's advanced navigation. And so what we hope to do is bring somebody through this series of um, surfaces, tests, ramps, thresholds, so that they can decide what feature of a chair may help them the best depending on what they face in their environment. So I think most occupational therapy personnel listening have a decent understanding of, of wheelchairs and what that would be. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the augmentative communication work and maybe that partnership sometimes between an occupational therapist mm -hmm. and a speech language pathologist or a... Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just head over to occupationaltherapy.com and sign up to start earning the CEUs you need online. You'll get unlimited access to hundreds of courses, including live webinars, on-demand videos, and text courses, and the audio courses you love for just $99 per year. And if you sign up today, you'll get 13 months of unlimited CEU access for the price of 12. This is an exclusive offer for our listeners, so don't wait. Go to occupationaltherapy.com and use promo code PODCAST and get 13 months for just $99. Join thousands of your colleagues who are already earning their CEUs online with OccupationalTherapy.com, an AOTA-approved provider of continuing education, and an NBCOT professional development provider. And don't forget to use promo code PODCAST at checkout to get your free bonus month. Once again, that's OccupationalTherapy.com, promo code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get started today. Sure. And how you, how you combine that sure. with the wheelchair sometimes. <clears throat> Yeah. 
So um, I've kind of explored this through my own practice when I had a gap in not having a speech pathologist. And I thought, huh, I don't need a speech therapist. I could do it all. But we do need you speech therapists out there if you're listening. And, you know, the speech pathologist really um, understands the language and they really understand all the components um, underlying communication. And so when they're looking at a device uh, for assisting or augmented in communication, they're looking at from low tech all the way to high tech. And so the device selection um, inherent to where that person is at in their either disease process or you know disability is one piece of it. But then we wanna make sure that that device is integrated. It is um, on the wheelchair. So the how that device gets attached to the wheelchair is where the OT and PT need to come in. And so we can look at how does the device attach? Is it interfering with their vision access? Can they get in and out of the chair? Are they actually gonna use this equipment as far as how it's it's interfaced? And then um, are they using it? And so we as clinicians continue to support what that speech therapist did by practicing the skills of this device. And one thing we recently were discussing with our speech therapist is, you know, they get this great device, they put it on the chair, the person comes in and we're doing modifications, so we gotta take them out of the chair. Well, now we've taken away their communication. So then how do we help them communicate their needs when they're not in the chair? And so it's, it, we do a lot of kind of cross-pollination as far as complementing each other. Um, the, as far as the attachment of the device and the access device, PT and OT, in wheelchair seating can be a little more interchangeable because we're looking at just really the um, the physical constraints and an interface of that of that equipment. Um, and then, if you so the other things that you're doing is some of the environmental modifications and smart mm -hmm. technology. Do you want to talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. and who's involved sure. in that sort of process? Sure. So as we have evolved, oh, I have to tell you a funny story. So when I was a young clinician and this device came on the market, it was called an iPhone. One, yeah, one of my patients said to me, I think it was designed for a quad. And I looked at him, I'm like, really? Because if you, I don't know, many of you may not know the world before iPhones, but someone with a spinal cord injury that has to keep track of, of medications, of phone numbers of their, you know, aids, of their doctor's appointments. You know, as therapists, we had many different modalities of how they could store and keep track of this information to be organized. Well, then with the phone, iPhone, it was all in one, and it was in this nice little compartmentalized piece. And it was funny because that was like the beginning of a new era of looking at the technology. And now, just with the... Um, I'll say smartphones, so I'm not biased to any any manufacturer, but we can interface that smartphone with a power wheelchair, with the environment and the world of an app. If something has an app, we have now had this integration of access. So the smart clinic is trying to look at what does somebody need to do, want to do, what are those repeated tasks you have to consistently ask somebody else for help with and then we kind of match what technology is available for them so somebody com comes in 
in some of the smart technology, maybe more environmental like home automation. And it could be again with your app and interfacing with the TV or the lights, or you put a smart light bulb in. And when you look at the environmental, the able-bodied world has embraced this and is using it every day. Well, that makes it even easier for somebody with a disability. And so the environmental components, it no longer has to be house wiring. It no longer has to be these special pieces that are mysterious to the outside world. It's really mainstream. Um, the bad part is insurance doesn't pay for it because it is mainstream. So then we have to look at creative funding solutions for that. And as far as the funding solutions, I will warn everybody that sometimes you have nonprofits that think it's fancy. Well, we'll just give everybody, you know, uh, Alexa or a, you know, a Google Home. We'll just pass them out like candy because they're pretty. But if you don't know how to use it and you don't have that application that all of you OTs know how to do, that device is going to get abandoned. And so don't undervalue the role of the occupational therapist in matching their needs to the technology because that's where things get lost and that's where the OT may not even realize it because it might be so obvious to them, but that's a really valuable role and it's also worthy of your clinical intervention time. So so you have the home automation. So at, um, at the Assistive Technology Center, you have three or four different uh, types of things you can control? Yeah, we I'm try to. You probably have how many? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we try to have representation of, like, different, because, again, we don't want to show bias. But, you know, I um, and if I can, I also want to talk about the other areas of smart technology. But as far as if you're not sure which way to go, you know, tap into, like, United Spinal has a technology access group. And there's resources out there if you know what you're asking for and you can start Googling because you can have consumers that will say, this is my experience with this device. This is what I liked and didn't like about it. Um, it's really hard in any hospital setting to use the um, Alexa and all, because it's like listening to you and becomes a security issue. Well, plus the, the, wi the Wi-Fi issue is uh, always fun. We won't, we, won't talk about, we won't talk about Wi-Fi issues in hospitals. And the and the possible ways that you can work around these problems that we may or may not tell our IT people. Right. Having the conversation is still valuable. You don't have to have everything at your fingertips. You just have to know that to aware to make them aware. Because sometimes it's a matter of pointing it out and then the consumers can run with it. Other times they really want you to hold their hand. And 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 I feel like sometimes OTs are reluctant to get started because they feel like, well, I'm not the expert in it. Um, you don't have to be. You just have to know, have that conversation. Um, the other piece that's, that's really fun that I want to mention is gaming. Um, adapted gaming is really becoming a great resource. And it's not only for, like, you know, you think of gaming and I think of my, you know, my kids and, and what, what they're doing, but it can be... Um, the parent wanting to be involved and participate. We've had people coming in that I just assumed that they can no longer use the device because they have impairments in their hand. But we've been playing around in, um, I'm, saying, I'm trying to think of the Apple, they have the um, adapted 
um, Switch controller. And there's now a lot of e-gaming initiatives out there that people can play remote. So they don't have to leave their house. They can be connected with a community through e-gaming. Especially during COVID, I think it was a way for, um, you know, lots of people that were connecting uh, with their networks and establishing newer new networks. And I think especially people with disabilities were able to benefit from that. Absolutely. You know, at, at that way as well. Absolutely. So we're, we're seeing a whole initiative. So what we do in the Assistive Technology Center is just introduce it. You know, and we do have some examples and we do have, we've got an Xbox. Because that was, oh, well, we have to have an Xbox if we're going to, you know. PlayStation 5? Yeah. No? no, we're not there gotta yet. Get, not there you got to get the PlayStation 5. Yeah. So, um, so we found that gaming has been something that it was that so obvious, but not obvious. Um, three... I know our friends at the University of Michigan like gaming as well. We had, we had some, some, we had a podcast with uh, one of their OTs a while back. Yeah. Talking specifically about gaming. So way back, way back in the day. Um, so, so lots and lots of, of things that are available at the Assisted Technology Center. But as you said, you know, I think there are resources and we'll provide some of those resources to folks on occupationaltherapy.com to look and see some of the, some of your tips for um, where you can get access to information about this. Because um, as you said, we don't all have to be experts, but I think it's useful for us to have kind of some general knowledge that we can, we can share with the, the individuals we're supporting. So, but within the context of that Assisted Technology Center um, and talking about RESNA, um, what, kind of, what kind of certifications can occupational therapy personnel or others potentially get that would be useful for them that are interested in, in kind of looking at assisted technology? The um, most common uh, certification, I call it an advanced certification, is ATP, so Assisted Technology Professional. And it's your more broad uh, certification that somebody that is working in the area of assisted technology. There's the criteria are you have to have so many hours working in the field. There are different uh, stair steps as far as if you have a advanced degree or if you don't have an advanced degree, um, there's different correlated hours, but it recognizes the specialization that you do have and, and really gives you that platform to interface with the, um, with the consumers. Uh, Medicare came out and they're requiring the supplier that, provi that provides power wheelchairs to have this certification. So they don't even have to be a therapist, but that knowing that if you see that ATP in the field, it is, uh, it is a level of recognition and you have to take certain continuing ed in order to maintain it. And if you are involved in mainly uh, wheelchair seating and positioning, there is a second certification that you get in addition to the ATP that's the SMS, Seating Mobility Specialist. And so you could be an ATP backslash SMS. Um, and so those are, are two really highly recognized areas. If, if you're planning on or if you're already in the field, I encourage you to consider exploring that. And then Resna, um, obviously, it's uh, you know they talk about engineering, but um, there are other other folks that are in Resna that are not engineers, correct? Yeah, I've always found that you know again, where is my home to advance my skills? Because when I started this, I didn't I didn't really have anyone to look for look at, look to look to. Um, so Rehab Engineering Society in North America is 
the home for anybody that wants to work in the area of assistive technology. If you're a school-based clinician and you want to work, you know, with that, the intervention, there's a group there. If you're an OT, if you're a PT, if you're a speech therapist, obviously the engineers, it's a really good home for them. Um, within the group, you have areas of interest. So if you work in, like I said, school-based practice or seating mobility or communication, there's groups that have that content area. And then there's professional links so that you have the OTs, the PTs um, together. Most of the therapists end up kind of clumping into one because we collaborate so much. There doesn't need to be a differentiation between the groups. But the engineers like to have their little subgroups because they like to the, <laughs> the protractors out and that sort of yes, thing. Yes, yes. Um, great education, great networking. You have academic, you have research, you have clinic. So it's also a really great learning environment to really come together as professionals so that you can go back to your area of practice and disseminate this information. And I, uh, even though I don't live in Columbus, Ohio anymore, I still uh, occasionally will email for a consult. And so I did that a couple weeks ago. So thanks for the help with that. Um, yeah. And you connected me to a speech language pathologist, but then also you you kind of connected to the your rehab engineer who you thought might have mm -hmm. some ideas. The, the issue was for um, a woman that had speech that was difficult to to understand, but we were trying to figure out a way for her to connect to our hospital-wide um, uh, telephone system because that was going to be part of her job. So how, what's, how does that work with a rehab engineer kind of complementing? Some people might not even know that that exists. So a rehab engineer um, can have a degree in mechanical engineering, uh, biomedical engineering, electrical engineering. They can have a, a different really any type of engineering undergrad, but they get advanced training with the rehabilitation um, field. So then they start learning how to apply technology to a person. They're very good at that techno technological piece of it. Therapists that work in the field of AT have this natural inclination to want to tinker. But what I've learned is there's kind of this area where the therapists have leveled off and there's this gap in the technology. And it's definitely been the past five to six years because of the complexity of technology. And so we advocated and pitched for a rehab engineer to come in in the clinic with us. Um, it's considered a value added service. And so it is not something that we are billing out. The patient doesn't have to pay more for it but we look at it as they're, they're supporting the clinician and they're allowing us to prioritize our time and be more comprehensive to assure that the equipment is serving at its highest level. So she's does a lot, it's a she, the, I mean Liz, but it could be a he, it could be anybody. They, they come in and, and how I look at it is, is that they have enough clinical knowledge to understand the person but they have more of the mechanical knowledge. And so they could take time to program, upload, integrate, set up. And then that's when, so when the OT or PT comes in, their time is utilized for the interface of the patient. And therapists love that. They, they don't want, you know, they don't want their time to be eaten by programming and uploading something. They want to interact with that person and they want, so, so after it gets, it's set up and then the engineer stays a part of it and then the engineer can see how the actual carry out of their work 
is getting executed and then that's their return demonstration. So it's been a really fun partnership and um, I hope to see more of them uh, in clinics. You do see them in the VA. You do see them on the academic side. You definitely see them on the research side, but I think there's a missing gap. I think we can utilize them more um, in the clinic. Right. And I think it goes both ways. I think I've, I've had a couple of experiences where um, a rehab engineer has vended a, an, a communication device that just wasn't appropriate for somebody. And I think they, they, they understood the, the device, but maybe didn't understand the human side as well. So it's, it's having that collaboration between the therapist um, and uh, the rehab engineer is a, a great model. Um, and so that's uh, a fabulous thing. Um, so in terms of different, looking at different types of environmental controls, you, you said you just have lots of them available potentially for individuals to, to try out. Um, what's maybe one really uh, cool feature that you've really helped somebody to increase their independence that was kind of a, maybe not a life changer, but maybe a game changer for them a little bit? Is there anyone in particular you can think of? I think the one that's that really um, resonated with me was the whole de- idea of privacy. When I had an individual that had a pretty complex um, disability and they always needed a caregiver or family to either turn on, set up, shut off, to, to interface with, with a device that kind of impacted and created another person in the room that was dipping into the conversation. As soon as we were able to allow that person to have access to whether it's their smartphone or their computer or, like I said, the interface of having the power wheelchair paired with the phone and the phone is using the Internet, then all of a sudden they can get onto social media. They can have that private conversation. They can, you know, go into a room by themselves and they don't have to have that third person hovering over them to say, hey, can you turn my phone on? Can you... So a lot of the automation and um, the voice-activated controls has been has been really powerful. Where it left an impression with me on how we take for granted just the privacy and how it can be disrupted. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, oh, absolutely. And I think you know, especially with folks with all types of, of disabilities. But I, I know in with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, we used to talk about. Um, you know, remote monitoring, but now it's remote, it's remote safety mm-hmm. because um, it does allow folks to have a little bit or a lot more independence so that you don't necessarily have to have someone there 24 seven. Um, if there are other ways that we can help to um, help someone to, to feel safe in their own home and gives them that, that level of, of independence. And especially, you know, with the, the shortage of direct care staff, you know, kind of across the board and, and all sorts of uh, caring professions. Um, so you said yeah. it's a yeah. little difficult or impossible to get insurance to cover some of these commercially available mm-hmm. um, uh, setups, but are you able to, to use it as part of your yeah. Yeah. evaluation and billing? How does that, or evaluation and treatment from a billing standpoint? Can I talk about the billing and then can I talk about the reimbursement? Yes. Okay. So as a... You mean billing and reimbursement are not the same thing? Uh, I would guess reimbursement I'm, for I'm the device. Little, yeah, yeah. I'm just teasing. Um. So as a clinician, anything that you do with a person, your therapeutic interaction. So if you are using, I'm going to go to the wheelchairs. I'm going to do pressure mapping. I'm not billing for pressure mapping. 
I'm using pressure mapping to give me the, you know, pressure distribution of the of that person. When I'm talking to somebody about gaming, I'm looking at recreation play. I'm looking at how they could, um, you know, interact in in a way as far as the um, I don't know what I'm trying to say just play. And so any using assistive technology as an, a therapeutic intervention is always billable. It's your time in your application. I, I tell the therapist, like, if you could pull someone off the street and show them exactly how they can modify this activity and implement it, then it's not skilled. But you need to think about how you're adjusting, adapting, how you're matching a feature to one of their ability levels or one of their impairment levels and all of that is therapeutic. You don't even have to have maybe the device in front of you. You can get on the internet and say, let's explore what may be available and let's talk about how you can find these resources on your own. That's your therapeutic interaction. So that's all billable. So you decide that, okay, I now have a list of things I want. Well, OT, Teresa, how am I going to get it? Insurance doesn't pay for it because everything insurance pays for has to have a code. There are no codes for all this fun stuff. And, you know, our medical insurance believes that none of this fun stuff is medically necessary, so there's not a code for it. Well, then how do you get it? You look at alternate resources. Um, you know, your, uh, the DD population, they have funding through their county, and so there may be some funding sources they can tap into. Um, individuals that are on uh, Medicaid throughout every state there's different waivers. So there is there a waiver that has, you know, non-discretionary funding that's, that that consumer is identifying that they feel is going to help them with their level of independence. And I've, I've filled out a number of those Medicaid waiver forms that they want a, an, an OT or a PT or a speech language pathologist, or maybe there's other professionals that they, want, they just want to have, you know, kind of a, a light assessment to say that this particular... Uh, device or piece of equipment is going to be useful for right, them. Right, um, right. There's also um, lots of grants. There's so many grants out there, and there's grants for, um, like, a, we'll talk about sports, I know, but like sports equipment, there's grants for medical devices, there's grants for home um, automation, and so helping your patient just think about what they may want and looking for a grant and helping them apply for that grant all through your therapy session. Um, and then the last piece is, I am not a big fan of it, but like a lot of the um, low interest loans or there's technology centers. So every state has a tech, tech act. So you just need to find where your technology resource center is in your state and they can either connect you with resources or they can work with you on low interest loans. Um, a lot of people are just going to GoFundMe and using you know, social enterprise and, and looking at that perspective. So it's, it's fundable, but it's a little more effort than it just magically appearing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll um, so in Ohio, it's, it's AT Ohio is the, you know, get the, the money for assistive technology funds. Every state does it a little differently. Ohio State's is through their Department of Engineering, whereas in Nebraska, it goes to their vocational rehabilitation folks. And then um, a lot of their VR counselors actually are ATPs and are doing more hands-on types of stuff. But I actually just got four iPads for the year um, from AT Ohio that we're, we're using for um, 
some of our uh, our folks back in Cincinnati. So yeah, but every state has a tech act. So look it up and, and find it. Gotcha. And so as you said that in the twenty some years that uh, we've both been doing this, um, technology has gotten more and more complicated and um, and specialized. I think in some ways. What's a good way for a, an occupational therapy uh, practitioner to, to just l- really look and see what's out there? I mean, there, obviously there's Google. Um, are there are there sort, certain resources that you like um, that you can help uh, share with folks? Or Sure. I am a big fan of United Spinal. I didn't know about them early in my career, but United Spinal, even though I think it started as a resource for people with spinal cord injuries, it's really it's anyone with a disability, um, probably more physical disabilities than in some of the others. But if you, you find an organization like United Spinal and then you look at their tech act or you look at the blogs or you look at the different resources, it's kind of like that navigation. They happen to uh, publish a, a, it's not a journal, it's a, um, like a, a brochure no, what is a little booklet called New Mobility. So, like, if you search New Mobility, you can find it's very consumer-based. I did use New Mobility early in my career because I wanted to look at things through the eyes of the consumer, and I wanted to understand what people's experiences were so that I couldn't say, well, I think this works for you. I can say, I've heard people tell me this is good. Um, if you work in the VA, PVA, wonderful resource they have the pva there's other organizations that have popped up like christopher and dana reeves association um there's craig nelson foundation you just start yeah, googling East, East, easter seals yeah easter seals in indianapolis has a really good site as well so we'll we'll have we'll have we'll have some links uh if you go to occupationaltherapy.com to be able to to find out some of those so um, okay. But I think one of the cool things that you've gotten into in the last 10 years, maybe it's been longer than that, but I'm thinking 10 years or so, is really looking at adaptive sports, recreation, and leisure um, as part of your assistive technology center. What kind of led you to that, and, and what have been some of the fruits from that, that little dalliance? It's actually, it's really, that's also been a journey. I talked to you earlier that, you know, I had these I was a young clinician and I had these young people my age with spinal cord injuries and I couldn't tell them how life was going to be. And we, like I said, we started going out to the different events. And so it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I was an outpatient and I thought to myself, well, how do they get their equipment? You know, I know how they get their everyday equipment, but how do they get their basketball chair or their rugby chair? And I also started thinking, I wonder if they realize how bad they're set up. Like they would just hop in their friends' chairs and play. And I just had a curiosity of, do they realize that they could be more successful as an athlete if they actually were fit properly to the chair? And I started exploring it, and I found that how people got their sports equipment was just talking to other people that were using it, and nobody really knew what they didn't know about it. I also found out that um, individuals with all types of disability didn't find out about adaptive sports until like five, six years after their injury. So they lost that opportunity to have that networking, that peer support. So we started something at OSU called the Adapted Sports Institute. It's a virtual center that brings together anybody in the system, and we have partners at Nationwide Children's, 
It's a children's hospital in OSU that has an interest in promoting adapted sports and wellness. And our goal is to link with the community and be resources and advocates for people. So many of us volunteer. So when I said earlier, my day job. And so going back, going in the evening, now that my kids are grown up and out of the house, I've gotten back involved in adapted sports. So I run an adapted cycling program on Mondays where people come out and they think, I can never bike again because of my aging process or because of my balance. I'm like, well, you can. We'll just put you in a recumbent bike. And just seeing people in their excitement of having, they, they all tell me the wind has gone through my hair. I, you know, I now can get out. I've had people with neurologic disabilities that had declined, and they've said to me, <coughs> excuse me, um, I'm sweating and not because I'm in therapy. You know, I think the role of the OT is making sure people are fit and have access to the equipment. Absolutely. And I, th I think um, I remember when I started uh, volunteering with the wheelchair basketball team in Columbus, uh, well, it was probably 10 years ago. Obviously, the camaraderie that the team has with each other, but especially what they were saying is when they were, you know, young in their injuries and things that maybe they were afraid of. Um, they would just, you know, just being guys to, to another guy, you know, would kind of tease them into trying something. Uh, and so to really let them take a, a risk, take a chance. So if they were going to be flying to, you know, a game against, you know, a, another team, you know, that they'd have to uh, get on a, a, an airport or get in, go, go through an airport, get on an airplane, figure out what that process was like. Um, and there's always, it's always more fun when you're doing it with other people. Um, but what other, what other kinds of sports are you um, helping to support people in at Ohio State? So any type of wheelchair sports. So we have um, wheelchair softball, wheelchair tennis, quad rugby. Um, the new thing is wheelchair football. So that's a little new in Columbus. Other states might have more of it. Um, but <coughs> excuse me. There's, um, for visual impairments, there's blind soccer, there is goalball, there's power soccer, um, racing, wheelchair racing is track and field is a big area. Lots of really great um, resources in Disabled Sports USA is where you can also go and um, try to learn about different events. And I know at, at Ohio State, they're really encouraging their, their occupational therapy students, and I'm sure physical therapy and speech language pathology and other students to kind of start start on the ground up and start participating because it was always just a, a good way of, um, you know, kind of seeing the possibilities for folks and to see somebody in a wheelchair as an athlete, uh, regardless of, of, you know, how they get from point A to point B. Um, what kind of differences are you noticing with people um, after they've started to participate in sports? Are you seeing... Uh, you know, maybe, and are they, are the differences maybe a little bit different than you would see as a, as a, I'm doing air quotes, as their therapist in a regular outpatient setting? You're seeing their confidence. You see them, um, I feel like accept themselves for who they are. They're now immersed with other people. And it's, you know, it's not a surprise that access and transportation can be a barrier. Sometimes it's motivating that person that didn't want to explore getting their license is now ha has a reason to do that. 
Um, they also, I found, have started networking and it's really um, a connection to jobs. <coughs> and it just really opens up their world and, and gives them, um, I'm using my words, like it seems like they have a purpose. And that's the same thing with able-bodied people. You, you know, especially with the COVID, you lost that connection with people and the pandemic. <coughs> so I, I find that the sports is, um, some people can stay at that rec level and some people just get motivated and they fast forward and they want to be at that high level of Paralympic or high level of competition. You don't have to go that route, but it's there if you want it. And I've seen people really take off. Um, and navigate it. And I've seen other people just, it becomes part of their community. Um, it's also a family event. So you don't have to be like, it doesn't have to be a competitive team. It could be, you know, the family just doing things together as a family unit. Gotcha. Great. Um, so in terms of, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was funny during COVID. So there's a, a wheelchair basketball team. I'm affiliated here in uh, South Bend, Indiana. And um, I sort of, they, they were having weekly Zoom meetings and I, I decided I was having enough Zoom at work. So I, I kind of took some, some time off, but, you know, once we were able to get back together, um, it was really uh, interesting to see kind of a variety of folks. So, you know, I think the um, wheelchair basketball, or at least the quad rugby team in Columbus was primarily folks with spinal cord injuries. Um, but the team here is less competitive. Uh, I say that with all love and respect to the South Bend Rollers. Um, but have have a So with all due respect to the South Bend Rollers, our uh, local uh, wheelchair basketball team, um, it's a, a wider variety of folks, not just individuals with uh, spinal cord injuries. So there certainly are a couple of folks with spinal cord injuries, but um, other other people that, that are wheelchair users and even um, a couple of folks that are, are you know, just have uh, issues with ambulation and are still all welcomed. And it's just, it's fun to, to have the group of folks get together. And, and as you said, as part of a family, there's... Uh, one guy that's a double amputee that uh, his wife and, and kid come and watch him play basketball just as, you know, they, they would to uh, anyone. Although I don't know that my wife and child have ever come and watched me play basketball. So, but uh, they're always happy when I leave the house on Wednesday nights to, to go to wheelchair basketball, that's for sure. Um, so you talked about, you know, the nice thing about um, being able to properly fit someone in one of these adapted chairs. How does that work? Um, is that a service that you provide? Is that billable through insurance? How do you, do you have different, you, you know, just like they would have different power chairs they could try out, um, different options that you have at the Assistive Technology Center to kind of look So at we them. have been trying to navigate that. So it's interesting because it, 
a lot of the service provision for these adapted sports teams makes sense at the place and time in the community. And so you, so you really have to have somebody that's immersed in the community. And the model that we've, we've arrived at is I'll use cycling. We have what's called Discover Cycling. So on Mondays, people pre-sign up, they come out. I have 50 cycles. So I decide, are you a foot propeller, hand propeller? What, are, what do I need? I just get them experiencing it. They then start going on rides. And they, when they identify, this is something I kind of want for myself. I have them come into the clinic, and that's the therapeutic intervention. Well, how are you going to use it? How are you going to store it? Where are you going to take it? How are you going to get it places? Now, let's order you a chair. We get the order forms out. I've already figured out it's going to be a recumbent foot propulsion with a left break, and we actually fill out the order forms. That's the science behind it. It's the science you're not going to get out in the community. And we've convinced like the wheelchair racing team that you, you kind of hit this level that once you've experienced and kind of know where you want to go, then you come into the clinic and we do that assessment. My friends in the VA get to do this all the time because the VA pays for it. <clears throat> and so initially I'm like, where's people, where are the people at? Why aren't they coming to me? It's because they didn't really know. And I can't have all these bikes in my clinic. So we found that there's that community exposure, but when it's time to implement and order it, you come to the clinic. And we have, we've been able to, to bill and get reimbursed for it. But the, the bike is coming through a grant. So we're kind of teaching them how to get started. And we're writing our letter of recommendation to the consumer saying that we promote their receiving this equipment because we've observed them being active in these stages of of engaging in the activity. Right. And I know we've been pretty successful locally with um, fundraising for the, the wheelchair basketball team generally. Um, and then there's just kind of a pot of money to help, you know, when people need individual chairs and, and helping them to get, to get it set up with that, which is um, pretty cool. Um, sure, sure. We're here, for, we're here for the stories. We had a girl that, um, you know, sad. She had a, uh, she had a spinal cord injury at age nine it was a, a they were the family was in a car and somebody t-boned them and the you know nine-year-old had a spinal cord injury as a result of it and through her recovery and rehab she had received an upright bike well she came to our discover cycling and the, the mom came to us and said yeah this organization wants to get her a recumbent bike and so we just want to make sure it will fit her and we want to test one out and i looked at her I go, well who's going to get this bike this group of well-intended, nice people wanted to just plop down this $6,000 hand cycle that this girl never tried, didn't know. It was a complete different form. It wasn't upright. It was low. And had we not had that chance to get her to experience it and fit her and function, that chair would have gone to waste because she wouldn't have understood what it was and so that's the connection of helping them know what they're getting and making sure that what somebody wants to give matches their needs yeah absolutely and i think that's um people are well-intentioned um but there as there's especially um bicycles there seem to be an abundance of bikes that are adapted bikes that are really expensive that are, are sitting around i know that fred salmon's uh uh is a 
huge advocate for that. Um, but he also partners with local occupational therapy programs to try to to help as they're distributing those bikes so that they are, you know, the appropriate um, bike and size and style and that sort of thing. Um, so there's just a lot of, of different things that you're working in. And so that's exciting to hear. Um, do you have advice for maybe young therapists that are interested in uh, pursuing assistive technology, pursuing, um, you know, working with folks in more adaptive sports and community-based settings? Where should they start? So I think if you're, I encourage, because we don't have enough OTs that are involved, we're always looking for OTs. If you have any interest in any form of assistive technology, which I feel like comes very natural to us as therapists, use it, trial it. Don't be afraid to test it out. Um, wheelchair seating, you know, when you have your vendors come, ask questions, ask the, um, ask to try out the equipment, just to start getting involved at any level. Don't feel like you have to be the expert and you have to know the, the answers. Because when I started, I didn't have a clue. Um, I pretended like I did, you know, to the <laughs> patients, but you're asking a lot of questions and I don't know, Dennis, we didn't have the internet to run to. And so you just have to be vulnerable and know that you don't have to have the answers, but you know what questions to ask. As far as adapted sports, just go out to an event. Go out to observe. Just be there. If you're in a situation where you can do community outings or you can take um, one of your patients, consumers, residents, you know, go with them because they don't have to participate, but if they're just present and they may feel safer going with you, you can be an observer and then maybe go back and try it and start slow and start simple and then and then you'll evolve into it because that's what we did. I mean, I started this with four patients once a week in a clinic and um, it's just evolved over my career and I feel really lucky to be where I'm at, but you don't have to have a, a, a full AT center with you know, a uh, whole staff of clinicians, you can do it if you just have that interest. Yeah. And I think as occupational therapists, we naturally know that participation benefits health uh, to start and end there. But, you know, obviously lots and lots of other types of benefits. And I think, you know, depending if you're in a, a smaller area or a smaller town, um, I was really happy that South Bend's, I think about, I should know I live here, let's say 80,000 people. Um, so it was big enough to have a, a wheelchair basketball team, but maybe you're in a smaller town. Um, and if there's not something, there are people that um, use wheelchairs all over our country. Um, and I think we all believe that they have the right to participate uh, in sports because, you know, a lot of us love sports. And, um, you know, maybe that's something that is in somebody's heart or head to think about maybe, you know, getting some, some folks together and to look and see what uh, what is potentially there that they might be able to to help facilitate maybe a, a wheelchair basketball team to start with or or other wheelchair sports i guess tennis you really only need two so i guess you could start with wheelchair tennis and and build for or, or build from there you know the other thing i'm trying to train myself in too because i have so much background in all the different sports but there's also the arts and there's dance and there's yoga and the chair yoga and adapted yoga um is really becoming um powerful. I went to an adapted yoga 
with one of my former patients and at the end my abs hurt so freaking bad because we were it was modified and so I ended up like oh my god she's kicking my butt right now um, but it was really fun to see her. There were able-bodied people in the audience. There were people with disabilities. Some disabilities, you could tell what they were. Some were in wheelchairs, some weren't. But I think the arts is evolving, too, with somebody that um, doesn't identify themselves as an athlete. But even at that, we all use the term athlete differently. And, you know, um, weekend warriors. Sure. So I, I do. And we, we all have shoulders. And... Um... I know whenever I've played wheelchair basketball, um, my shoulders uh, have let me know that for the several days after that. Yes. That's for for yes. darn sure. And we have some techniques to help people to be uh, a little bit healthier in terms of how they're propelling themselves through that process. So, Teresa Berner, thank you for propelling us through this process. I'm just excited to have you as a buddy and uh, just it's been fun to watch the Assistive Technology Center at Ohio State just continue to to grow and blossom and uh, certainly as a, a national leader in, in how um, we can provide these services. So thanks thanks for your leadership. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care.